1996. Bill Clinton is the president. No diggity and knocking on heaven's door top the music charts. Disney is ending the electrical parade on Main Street. And Rick and Ruth Windorf were brutally murdered by a 16-year-old boy who thought he was a vampire. Hello, my name is Allie, and welcome to the very first podcast of Where Have All the Children Gone? This is podcast one of the Children Who Kill series. This podcast seeks to portray the truth and provide the victims a voice. It contains graphic and mature themes which some might find offensive and is not recommended for young children. When we think of a child, we think of someone sweet and innocent. Unfortunately, some children can be crueler fuller of depravity and have no value for life, animal or human, than the most evil of adults. Our juvenile halls are filled to capacity with children who are rapists, pedophiles, and murderers, with absolutely no remorse for what they have done. But did they start out that way? The old nature versus nurture question. And can they ever really be rehabilitated when the desire to kill is ingrained and their developing brains at such an early age. Children need to become law-abiding adults, not serial killers. Parents don't have all the answers. It really does take a village to raise a child into a strong, independent adult. So if you see a child going down the wrong path, intervene, be a mentor. Prevention is more effective and far better than rehabilitation. Stop evil before it starts. Okay, we're going to begin with Sandra, the mother. She was very immature and socially awkward as a teenager. Her parents presented themselves to the public as Pentecostal fundamentalists, and they wouldn't allow Sandra to date, go to dances, or even go to the movies. She responded to this restraining life, like a lot of teenagers do, by getting pregnant at 17 and marrying 21-year-old Rick Farrell. Sandra gave birth to Roderick Justin Farrell, or Rod as he was called by his friends, on March 28, 1980. Within a few months, her marriage crumbled and Sandra was just too ill-equipped to support her infant son, let alone raise him on her own. So they moved back in with her restrictive parents. Rod received many mixed messages in, the, in his early years of growing up. Sandra worked in prostitution, smoked cannabis, and drank alcohol in order to deal with the stress of living with her parents and being a single parent. Then his grandparents would tell Rod Sandra was an unfit mother and smoking and drinking were forbidden. When Rod was five years old, he was molested in a ceremony run by a religious cult known as the Black Mask. It involved one or more of Sandra's relatives. Sandra and Rod both reported that Rod's grandfather was an active member. Rituals of this cult included sodomy, sadomasochism, and cutting and burning of victims. Their goal was said to release evil to extinguish the light in the world. Black mask translates to beware Satan, commonly known as Satanism today. By the time Rod was a teen, he began to hurt himself physically to deal with all the pain and hurt he had inside. He became depressed 
and often talked of suicide. When he was 15, Sandra remarried and they moved away from Rod's grandparents. With less structure in his life, Rod slept long hours, was truant from school. He began smoking, living on junk food, and experimenting with drugs, making his appearance look anemic and ill. Rod's home life continued to have its difficulties. His mother often flirted with his friends. They liked his house to hang out at, but Rod clearly was embarrassed by his mother's behavior. I mean, she called herself the star mistress of the dark. So Rod was always looking for another place to stay. The tension became even worse when his mother developed a crush on Rod's 14-year-old friend. Sandra knew the boy's brother was active in another vampire cult and hoped that this 14-year-old would initiate her so she could become a vampire who supposedly had eternal life. In a letter she wrote, I long to be near you, to become a vampire, a part of the family immortal and truly yours forever. You will then come to come for me and cross over with me and I will be your bride for eternity and you my sire. She also wrote this child letter saying she dreamed of French kissing him and being fucked by him. She wrote a second letter that was equally graphic and suggested the boy move in. Now her interest in vampirism really threatened Rod's ability to separate himself from his mother. I mean this was his thing. And Rod told his friends he wanted to kill his mother and grandfather. By this time, though, the mother of the 14-year-old who Sondra desired saw the sexually explicit letters and notified the police. Sondra was charged with soliciting rape and sodomy from a minor and would spend six months in jail. Rod also had run-ins with the police. He and another teenager mutilated two puppies from a local animal shelter. And one of Rod's friends stated she had seen Rod fatally swing a kitten against a tree. By age 16, he was experimenting with so many drugs that his behavior was really unpredictable. He had matured physically, quickly growing, almost six feet tall, was reed thin, and grew out his jet black hair to his shoulders. He appealed to the girls because they thought he was a dark, dreamy character who was strong and self-assured when he actually had very poor esteem and little hope for the future. Rod recruited members into his cult family of sorts with the promise of immortality, and they grew to around 30 people, which he called the Vampire Clan. He claimed he was a vampire named Visago and told his followers he had been around for the last 500 years. To outsiders, they appeared to be just goths dressed in black. But instead of being bonded together by music, they were drawn together by dressing as vampires. They hung out in a dilapidated building in the cemetery, and they took part in bizarre rituals, actually drinking each other's blood. Rod's right-hand man of the clan was Scott Anderson, whom he had known since second grade. Scott came from an unhappy home, lacked confidence, was thin, and wore thick glasses and was attracted to Rod as a heroic figure because he was a hopeless virgin and Rod to him appeared to be confident and had many lovers. Charity Kissy, often called Shay by her friends, was Rod's 16-year-old girlfriend. She loved Rod's dark romantic side but feared his temper. Charity frequently told Rod she loved him but he doubted he was lovable and he kept testing her. 
He would provoke fights in order to get a reaction, which was hard for her to understand. But it's very common for dysfunctional people to provoke fights as a means of avoiding true intimacy. They desperately want to be loved, but can't afford to let anyone get close. The third main teenager in the clan was 19-year-old Dana Cooper, a friend of Charity's. Dana had her own home, and Rod and his friends frequently hung out there. Dana was overweight, lacked confidence, and was grateful to have friends. The fourth main teenager of the clan was 15-year-old Heather Windorf. She was a platonic friend. They both went to the same school, and when Rod dropped out, they kept in touch. Now, Heather's father was a self-made man who'd been able to give his two daughters and a common wife a good standard of living. Heather was a bit of an outsider, unhappy, lonely, and attracted by Rod's stories of blood drinking and immortal life. It was not clear why Heather was so unhappy. Rod stated he thought it was because she was being abused by her father. But she started cutting herself to release emotional pain. She suffered from insomnia, migraines, and thought of death often. She often complained to Rod that she hated her home life and wanted to run away, but her parents would find her. Over the Thanksgiving weekend of 1996, Farrah decided to help her escape her life. He got fellow cult members Scott Anderson, Charity Kesey, and Dana Cooper to help. They packed some clothes and headed to Florida in Scott's old broken-down vehicle. They drove 260 miles to Eustis in Florida, about 15 minutes from Orlando's Disney World. Rod was happy because Charity, his girlfriend, was pregnant with his child. No one knows why this mission to help an unhappy teenager turned into a heinous home invasion murder. But what we do know is sometime during the road trip, spurred by an offhand comment, the plan to murder Heather's parents was developed. Heather was never told about the plan to murder her parents. If she had, she wouldn't have never participated. Rod had Charity and Dana take her over to her boyfriend's house so she could say goodbye before they left. In the meantime, Rod, Farrell, and Scott Anderson proceeded to the Wendorf residence. When Rod and Scott arrived, they saw that Richard Wendorf was asleep on the couch and Ruth Wendorf was in the shower. The plan was Rod would kill the dad while Scott killed the mother. Under the cover of darkness, they entered the house through the unlocked garage door. Clutching a crowbar he had picked up in the garage, Farrell crept up on the sleeping man and brutally beat him in the head. The blows cracked open Richard Wendorf's skull and rendered him unconscious. But Farrell wasn't done. He continued to hit him over and over, sending blood and brain tissue everywhere and fracturing his ribs. Richard's head ended up being a pulpy mass. Rod also burned a V on Richard's chest stomach area with a lit cigarette. The V was for Fizago, his vampire name, as he waited for Ruth to finish her shower. They were moving Richard Windorf back onto the couch when they heard a sound from the kitchen. Naomi Windorf had finished her shower and was walking through the house in her bathrobe, still drying her hair with a cup of coffee in her hand. She saw the wild-eyed young man coming at her with the crowbar. She asked, what did he want? He slammed into her and she threw her hot coffee on him. 
They fought and she scratched him. The police would later find his DNA under her nails. Enraged, she viciously hit the 54-year-old woman over and over on the head and body until all that was left was a crumpled heap in a pool of her own blood. Rod then casually tossed the crowbar aside and he and Anderson ransacked the house stealing jewelry, credit cards, and then they cut the phone lines. They knew Heather's older sister would be home shortly to find the grisly scene and they didn't want her to be able to summon help right away. This was before cell phones. Scott drove them away in the family sport utility vehicle, making him, in the eyes of the law, equally as guilty as Rod. When they met up with the others, they transitioned all their belongings into the SUV. Heather was shocked to see they had stolen her parents' car, stating her parents would be livid and they should return it before they find it missing. After dropping multiple hints, Rod finally admitted to her that her parents were dead. She was shocked and wanted to leave the group, but was afraid Rod would kill her too. In the meantime, 17-year-old Jennifer Heather's older sister had the unfortunate luck of coming home from work to a bloodbath in her home. When the police responded to the frantic 911 call, they initially thought Heather was also a victim and had possibly been kidnapped. However, after talking to Heather's boyfriend, they learned she was on her way to New Orleans with a group of teenagers. An APB was issued for the Windorf's SUV. Independent life on the road was hard for the five teenagers. They had little money and frequently got lost on their way to New Orleans. They burgled home for cash and food. Rod spoke of living off the grid in the wilderness, but the girls were cold and scared and Charity was two months pregnant. Charity decided to reach out to her mom. She called her when they got to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Her mother told her to go to a motel and she would arrange to pay for the room. The police were notified and were waiting for the teenagers when they arrived and they were quickly arrested. Now the four teens were arrested in possession of the Ford Explorer belonging to the Windorfs. Inside the car was a pearl necklace belonging to Ruth and a hunting knife with a black handle belonging to Mr. Windorf. Blood was on all four door panels, the rear seat and center console. I was unable to access any reference exactly to whose blood it was, but it can be inferred that it belonged to one or more of the Windorfs. Richard had over 22 wounds, chop wounds and blunt impacts trauma to his head, facial and skull fractures. Facial and skull lacerations, brain lacerations, brain contusions, subarachnoid hemorrhage, subdural hemorrhage, periorbital ecchymosis, burns to the chest, and blunt impact to the torso with rib fractures. Ruth, on her autopsy, showed 21 wounds, skull fractures, brain and brainstem lacerations. She was hit so hard that the brainstem was severed between the midbrain and the pons. Brain contusions, scalp and face lacerations, periorbital ecchymosis, blunt impact and chop stab and size wounds of extremities, cutting and blunt impact wounds of arm and hands, contusions of arm, burns of arms. They had really overkill with these murders. 
Farrell and his vampire clan was held at the Baton Rouge jail for a week before being extradited to Florida. Once in Florida, they were placed in a juvenile detention facility in Oncala. Farrell denied any involvement in the murder, stating they were done by a rival vampire clan in hopes of getting him in trouble. He later changed his story, stating he alone was responsible. Scott Anderson led divers from a Baton Rouge police department to a Mississippi river bridge to find a short-barreled shotgun investigator sink the teen stole from a house on their way from the Windorfs to Louisiana. In his confession, Rod told authorities that he and Scott went to Heather's garage for weapons, food, and cash. Moments later, he added, I went to her dad and smacked the fuck out of him until he finally quit breathing, so yes, I am admitting to murder. He also said that he rained numerous blows on Ruth Windorf's head until I saw her brains falling on the floor, he stated. He also stated that Scott had froze and most that he had done was move the bodies a little bit. When an officer asked him if he was remorseful, he replied, Why? Killing is the way of life. Animals do it, and that's the way humans are. Just the worst predators of all, actually. He also told him the killings were a rush and that he felt like a god. The crime scene photos were brutal. They show bloodstains on the back of the couch and on the floor where Richard Wendorf was killed, which supports the statement that the body was moved. At the trial, Rod tried to spread the blame around, which contradicted all previous testimony and forensic evidence. He pled guilty to the double homicide. His skin had been found on the roof's fingernails. His footprints were found at the scene. He had told Charity and Dana he had planned to murder the couple and the police had his taped confession. The defense brought up Rod's miserable childhood. Rod stated abuse by his grandfather and other men at age five as part of the Black Mass. He drew pictures that showed demons and suggested oral and anal abuse. Sandra's sister, Rod's aunt, testified that her father, Rod's grandfather, had fondled her, which led her to leave home at age 14. Rod admitted to psychiatrists that being sexualized at age five led him to be a nymphomaniac and that he had numerous lovers. They also brought up Saunders' drug and alcohol use, her prostitution during his childhood, and her prison sentence for soliciting a 14-year-old child. When that didn't work, his defense attorneys tried insanity based on a diagnosis of schizophrenia and autism, but he was deemed sane to stand trial. Now, Heather Windorf, who was 16 during the crime, was held in juvenile detention for third-degree murder until the grand jury could hear her case. Charity Kissy, who was 16 during the crime, lost her baby she was carrying. Of two counts of third-degree murder, robbery with a gun or deadly weapon, and burglary armed with weapons or explosives, and was sentenced to 10 and a half years in state prison. Dana Cooper, who was 19 during the crime, was also convicted of two counts of third-degree murder, robbery with a gun or deadly weapon, burglary armed with weapons or explosives, and was sentenced to 17 and a half years in prison. Scott Anderson, age 16 during the crime, was charged and convicted of first-degree murder and received life without possibility of parole. Rod Farrell, age 16 during the crime, was tried as an adult and convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death in the Florida's electric chair. 
Rod boasted no fear of the electric chair since he was immortal. Now this is where most podcasts stop and it really drives me crazy because I always want to know what happened after they were convicted. So we have a part here that's called It's a Wrap, but what happened after the conviction? Well, Heather Wendorf was found innocent by the grand jury and was not indicted. She was released from custody and placed in foster care. She insists to this day she had no knowledge of the plans to murder her parents and she had a good relationship with them. She was estranged from her family until 2002. They are now healing together. Heather is married, is an, is an art school graduate, and lives out of state. Charity Kesey was released in 2006 after eight years in prison. Dana Cooper was released in 2011 after 13 years in prison. Scott Anderson received his resentencing hearing based on the Supreme Court ruling that juveniles cannot receive sentences that have been imposed by a mandatory statute. In fact, he just recently had that hearing and was resentenced to 40 years in prison with credit for time served. Anderson is currently incarcerated in the Calhoun Correctional Institution. Rod had held the title of the youngest person on death row, but lost that title in November 2000 when the Florida Supreme Court reduced his sentence to life without parole because juveniles cannot be put to death. He also received a resentencing hearing based on the Supreme Court ruling. At his resentencing, he requested a reduced sentence, which he was denied. In his ruling, Judge Singletary found Rod Farrell irreparably corrupt and declined to change his sentencing. Rod will remain incarcerated for his life without parole in the Tomiko Correctional Institution. Well, there you have the vampire clan. Thank you for joining me for my first ever podcast and first podcast of Where Have All the Children Gone's first podcast of the Children Who Kill series. I hope you can join me next time for the Warwick Slasher. Special thanks to Fesslian Studios for the awesome music, the Orlando Sentinel, Carol Ann Davis for her book Kids That Kill, NewsHerald.com, TrueCrimeDaily.com, and WordPress.com. See you next time. Remember, stop evil before it starts.